How long have you been 17? I am a vampire. And you are mortal. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to This Podcast Sucks. The show where we take a bite out of the vampire genre. We'll be following all manner of fanged fiends through the past 127 years of film and television. From Nosferatu to Twilight, I'm your host, Tara. And I'm your host, Elliot. And this week we'll be covering George Melford's 1931 Dracula. And so as we talked about in last week's episode, this was a Spanish language version of Dracula that was released concurrently with Belugosi's um, version. Okay, so I had never seen this movie before, but I remember hearing about it years ago when I was watching some uh, special features thing about the Bela Lugosi version. So I'm just really excited to have finally watched it. Mm -hmm. And I know you just found out about it recently. Yes, yeah. I have also had not seen it. I had never even heard of it. You're right. Um, I found out about it while doing research for Lugosi's Dracula mm-hmm. um, and it's like this is a like, what, is the, <laughs> what an interesting tale um, but yeah I guess just yeah. to fill in um, our listeners a bit on the story of this film um, we got into this a bit last week so you know if anyone's listening we'll be like rehashing some things but mm-hmm. in 1931 Universal Studios was struggling financially, um, like a lot of studios, and it was trying to find ways to expand its viewership, expand its reach. And one tactic that studios used at the time was making foreign language versions of their films. And Universal particularly did this almost exclusively by making Spanish language versions of their films. Um, And so when we say that this was kind of made concurrently with Bela Lugosi's Dracula, we mean that in the most literal sense at kind of every level where this film was shot on the same set that Bela Lugosi's version of the film was shot on. Lugosi's cast and crew would shoot during the day and then they would leave and George Melford would arrive with um, his producer and they would watch the dailies from Todd Browning's shoot, and then they would recreate that footage, sometimes pretty exactly. Um, you know, we have some quotes that the actors even used the same marks um, that the day crew um, used. So, you know, that was, they were being made at the same time, and then they were released more or less at the same time. Um, So this is almost like the shadow version (laughs) of Lugosi's Dracula, which, as we'll get into, is pretty sad, you know, that the film has kind of come to be viewed in that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I feel like there, at least maybe recently, there has been kind of a critical real reappraisal of the movie mm-hmm. and um some do consider it to be better than the Todd Browning version uh in some regards especially concerning things like the 
cinematography and the explicitness of it. Yes, yeah. But as we'll get into, I think, I don't know if you'll agree with this or not, um, the, the defining here thing here is that uh, Bela Lugosi is not playing Dracula in this version. Yes, so. we're going to get into all the nitty gritty. It'll be interesting yeah. because I think we might have different opinions about this. But oh, just to okay. get into a few more details about the film, um, as we said... This film was directed by George Melford, but George Melford did Melford did not speak any Spang, Spanish, so he used <laughs> I almost said Spanglish. Spanglish. Um, <laughs> George Melford oh. did not speak Spanish or Spanglish. Um, okay. He relied heavily yeah. on interpreters. And, and can also, I just say like, yes, a, sorry, yes. can I just say like a really quick anecdote about that um, in one of the kind of promotional interview things for the blu-ray dvd of dracula before the spanish version they interview the actress who played the mina counterpoint character ava lupita yes. tover yeah. and she was she it was a great interview she's so funny and adorable and she says oh my gosh we had a wonderful director george melford he didn't speak any spanish <laughs> it was just really it was really funny it's cute yes yeah but apparently and you know it's what will you know it's so much about the production of this film is a really interesting foil to the things that happened on lugosi's set um but so the film was directed by george malford and um written the script was a translation of garrett fort's script but the translator, Baltazar Fernandez Cue, I believe, um, also added several scenes and dialogue that was not in the Fort version of the script. Um, the version, this version of the film is, I believe, approximately 30 minutes longer than um, Browning's version. Um, and the interesting thing, one of the other interesting things is that as we talked about with Lugosi's Dracula, Todd Browning is the credited director, but he was a, a bit of an absent parent. <laughs> he, he, he was a bit of a, yeah, he was just kind of not really, um, he wasn't really putting in much effort is our understanding. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. 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 Uh, Car Carl Freund, the direct, the cinematographer yeah. had to kind of become a shadow director a bit. Yeah, so in this case, George Melford actually, by all accounts, really, really cared about this feature and really cared about doing a good job. Mm -hmm. But he had to rely on um, his, his producer a lot. And his producer's name, excuse me one sec. I thought I had it. Okay, there we go. It wasn't at the top. Okay, so... George Melfield really cared about this production and he wanted it to be successful and he seems to have cared about it anecdotally in a way that we have reason to believe Browning did not. Um, so he, similarly to Browning relying on Frund, but in a, for a, very, in a very different way, um, Melford relied on Paul Koner, um, who was the one of the producers of the film and who was also married to the star who played Ava uh, Lupita Tovar um, and Carl Lamelli Jr. is credited uh, as Carl the, Lemley 
Lemley. Okay, yeah. thank you. <laughs> I only know that because of my Phantom of the Opera obsession, and his dad produced the silent film with Lon Chaney. So, okay, yeah, I looked him up, and he seemed to have a pretty long career. But um, how did you say it, Carl Lemley? Lemley. Lemley. So <laughs> Carl Lemley Jr. is credited as the producer, but from my research, I don't think that he was ever really on set. I don't think that he was really involved in the day to day. I think that he was kind of producing from like Universal Studios offices. So we're going to focus on Paul Koner's kind of contributions to this feature. Um, is he was the one who was actually on set every day. Um, and so that is our kind of core production team. And then for our cast, we have Carlos Viarias uh, playing Conde Dracula, um, Lupita, Lupita Tovar playing Eva, Barry Norton playing Juan Harker, and Pablo Alvarez Rubio playing Renfield. And then finally, we have Eduardo Arroza Mena playing Van Helsing. And so that's our kind of core cast, I would say. And so... Same as the Lugosi version, this film was shot over the course of 22 days, I believe in October of 1931, mm -hmm. if I'm remembering correctly, the early fall of, mm -hmm. of 1930, it would be then. Um, it, it says from October 10th to November 1st. Okay, great. Yes, it's spooky season. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And yeah. yeah, well, speaking of, I know they came in um, after the... Uh, English language version would finish filming during the day and they would film at mm -hmm. night and yes. I was just kind of thinking like that was probably like good for kind of setting the mood and the atmosphere a bit yeah I did see I read an article that interviewed um Tovar who played Ava uh about it and she mentioned that the sets and things that yeah. that it did feel creepy um that scared and that, her. Yeah, and that there were times where she felt like afraid of Dracula, oh, you know. I was so is... jealous of her. I was like, I want to wander around a gothic set. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. Um, pursued by a man in a tuxedo who wants my blood. <laughs> in my negligee. No. Yes, yeah. Wow, that that was a great, she had some great outfits. She, we'll get into oh it. Oh my yeah. gosh, she and um, Lucy were serving in this version. Yes. Yeah. So they look much better. Good. They look good and they knew so it. So glamorous. They look glamorous. <laughs> yeah. It definitely, it felt like it. I think one of the things that will come up over the course of the episode is that uh, this is definitely like a bit saucier. It feels a bit mm -hmm. more adult. It oh, feels, yeah. There's like a sensuality here that I did not feel um, in Lugosi's Dracula. Right. Which yeah. makes me sad because. Bail Lugosi, I think, is a handsome man. And I'm like, darn it, why didn't we have him in the saucy version? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, luckily we have decades to come of, yes, of... <laughs> saucy vampire movies. Uh, true. Very true. Yeah, all right. So that's kind of the, the core people involved with this project. And so I think I think we can dive right into the film. I think that this conversation sure. is going to be interesting because I personally am starting to have a bit of trouble keeping 
things straight in my head in terms of what was in Nosferatu, what was in Lugosi's Dracula, (laughs) what is in Melford's Dracula, because Mm -hmm. as we talked about last episode, Browning and Fort and Frund, especially Browning and Frund, studied Nosferatu very closely and they directly emulated, if not copied, certain scenes and shots and ideas from Nosferatu. Um, So there's a real, um, the boundaries are pretty blurry in terms of the differences. Like these pieces of cinema are all intentionally interconnected with each other um, and interwoven, Mm -hmm. so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when you look at both movies, it is the same story, beat for beat. It is the same dialogue. The kind of differentiating factors that we'll get into really, I think, are uh, the way the story is kind of framed um, through technical means, like the cinematography and blocking, and um, also through the performances. Yes, absolutely. I would agree with that. And there are there is there are some lines of dialogue that are new. There is some dialogue. That's True. New. Yes, because George Melford was probably not ripping out pages from the script like Todd Browning was. So <laughs> they had more to work with. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> um, it's just so funny imagining this guy just like. Oh, who cares? No one needs this. Uh, and then it's didn't... like, yeah, it's like, I don't know, Todd, like <laughs> the movie wasn't very good. Did you watch it? <laughs> you could have you could have held on to some of those pages. Ah, uh, just have George direct both. <laughs> I'm yeah, it's it's you know, it's, it's, he's just he's just working twenty four seven round the clock. Yeah, um, no, like he doesn't get yeah, day and night doesn't yeah. get a break. Uh-huh. Yeah, so right. with the you're correct that the story is um, basically beat for beat. And when so just in case people don't know, when I mentioned earlier that Melford's version used the same marks, what I mean by that is that on sets, when you're filming, a lot of times, like almost all of the physical action is predetermined and blocked out so that the cameras know where to be to capture the shots they need of the actors. And so the actors know where they need to be in order for the cameras to get them. So it's just like a, an insurance policy, making sure that everything works out. And so you'll have like marks taped to the floor or indicated with chalk or paint or whatever it is that are, that are kind of indicators to the actors. Like, okay, I walk across the room and this is where I stop. Um, so when when Lupita Tovar was saying like we use the same marks like they literally walked and stood in the same places on the same sets as Lugosi's shoot um so you know it is it's a pretty there are some scenes where I I found myself wondering is this the same shot that they've just decided not to reshoot yeah, no, I I don't know why. I mean, I kind of just thought of this. I hope it's not too much of a non sequitur, but have you heard of uh, the Gus Van Sant adaptation of Psycho? <laughs> I don't think so. I okay, welcome the I, tangent. I know, I just bring that up because just kind of what you were saying about how like 
the same story, the majority of it is the same dialogue, right down to the same exact blocking. Like they mm -hmm. are essentially trying to carbon copy reproduce this movie um, for um, a Spanish speaking audience with a Spanish mm -hmm. cast. And I just thought of Gus Van Sant's Psycho because that is a movie that is, you know, infamous for essentially trying to redo Psycho. Like it is the same blocking, it is the same dialogue, it is the same story. Um, but you know, it's awful. I mean, it, it, and I, I'm trying to remember who did they cast as Norman Bates? It was, um, um, oh my gosh, I, I'm blanking on his name. He, he was, hold on. I'm John looking Cusack. it up. <laughs> <laughs> I, whenever I think oh. of a terrible casting for a villain, I think of that story you told me about how NBC wanted John Cusack for Hannibal. And <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. No, please don't speak it into existence. Hell yeah. That's, it's some that's... alternate reality where that happened. Yeah. And World War Three has happened in that reality. I mean, like, here's the thing. It's like, it was, I guess, between Mass Mickelson John Cusack and David Tennant. One of these things is not like the other. I didn't know that they were considering yes. David Tennant. I think David oh Tennant was God. really close. And I'm like, it makes sense. I can see the vision. John yeah. Cusack. Um, no. Um, it was Vince Vaughn. They cast Vince Vaughn as Norman Bates. <laughs> <laughs> Enough said. But I bring this up because... I just can't even... <laughs> It's it's terrible. It's like um, I know that people's stars like rise and fall yeah. and that an actor's reputation and image can change a lot. But that is so inconceivable. <laughs> I will send you a clip after we're done of some of the scenes. It's it's truly a thing to behold, but I bring that up because when you read about the production history of it and how at this point, Gus Van Sant had done Goodwill Hunting. He had enough money to essentially uh, burn on whatever project he wanted to, and he chose this. When you read him talking about it, you're like, oh my god, he was like trolling everyone. He essentially did it to be like, see, you can't like remake a movie. <laughs> it's like not going to have okay. the same effect, which is interesting because he was basically, it sounds like kind of making a point of it doesn't matter if you have the same script, the same blocking, cinematography, like whatever, it's not you can't there's something mm -hmm. that cannot be reproduced here mm -hmm. so. yeah that's i mean that's a really now that's kind of beautiful and <laughs> is a really really fascinating i mean that cuts to the core of some of the questions about cinema and the moving image and the photographic image that theorists have been asking for as long as we've been able to do this you know like this idea that a photo can capture some sort of empirical reality or truth and that, you know, kind of that idea of like, well, can I recreate something that recreates? Um, mm -hmm. Like, is there anything that can truly be, you know, like the question of ephemerality, I think is very much raised by that. Yeah. And how the, the effect can't be reproduced. The effect yes. will always be different despite yes. how closely you try to reproduce the image. Mm -hmm. Well, with that in mind, I think that it might make sense to just state what what that effect is for us because um, I was thinking maybe we would hold back on this, but I think it makes sense to come out with it at the start. I personally found this to be far more enjoyable 
and entertaining and compelling than Bela Lugosi's Dracula. I thought that this was a better movie um, and I'm really interested to hear what you thought. Um, I agree. I think in comparison to the Bela Lugosi one, it is a far better film. Some aspects of it, I think, are just great. Mm -hmm. um, like, we'll get into it. Um, and really well done. Um, I... I, I kind of struggle a little bit with like I know you should like not necessarily compare adaptations, mm -hmm. but watching the film, I I couldn't help but just be a little like God like if Bela Lugosi was just in this version, um, yeah. Because it is not that um, I'm here. Let me check the actor's name, who played Dracula, Carlos Carlos Villarias. I'm. I yeah. apologize in advance. No, for my it's okay. Poor Spanish it's accent. <laughs> um, it's not that he was. It's not that he was bad. And when you read uh, the production history about how he and Milford were like very closely looking mm -hmm. at the dollies and trying to recreate it as best he could, um, mm -hmm. he he's fine. Um, but yeah. it just it kind of made me retrospectively reconsider maybe some of my comments about Lugosi's performance last episode um, and made me, I guess, appreciate a little bit more about whatever kind of je ne sais quoi he was bringing to this mm -hmm. performance that, um, as we were just talking about, could not be reproduced here. Um, so I, I think, like, had we had an actor giving or I don't know, had had someone that had Lugosi's, I guess, charisma or presence been in this part, which mm -hmm. sounds a little mean. I'm sorry, I don't mean to be mean to Villers. <laughs> but ha had we had someone like that in the part, this film would have been great. I think, like, yeah. it, it really would have just um, really, I, I guess, you know, kind of been deserving of, like, the horror iconic status that I, I really don't get why Bela Lugosi's version has, aside from the mm -hmm. fact that Bela Lugosi's performance was iconic. So, um, I, I don't know. I guess maybe maybe it's not necessarily, I don't know, beneficial to look at a movie as either made or broken by a singular performance. But if we're talking about in comparison to the other Dracula version, it's a lot better. I would so much rather watch this version than yeah. the Todd Browning one. I agree. Yeah, I could see myself watching this Malford's version again. I don't know that I could really see myself watching Browning's I, version again. Yeah, I, I would watch. Say. I would just like watch the scene, like some of the scenes I like with Bela Lugosi, mm -hmm. like him and Van Helsing's confrontation. Yeah, and, and like that, I'm like, I'll watch yeah. something like that. But like, ugh, for an hour and fifteen minute movie, no, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's it still drags. Um, but yeah, I. Yeah, I think that so. the question of comparison is interesting because that idea of like, should a film be made or broken on their performance of a single actor? And, you know, a big part of me says no, because like I said, I, I enjoyed this film more. I think this is a better film, but I do agree that Viarius does not have the same, I think that it lands differently. I think that yes. he's he's clearly really, really trying. Um, mm -hmm. He's like giving his all for this role. I, I really felt that he was committed to delivering Dracula. Um, yes. So, you know, any sort of flaws that I identify in his performance have nothing to do with, you know, my belief that he was really trying his oh, hardest absolutely. as an actor and he was oh, yeah. working really hard. But yeah, I think everyone yeah. was in this. 
Yeah, um, no, I, I mean, that's one it. of the other things is that for the most part, I found this to be a much better acted piece. Yes. I think um, that Viarius mm -hmm. is really like, I think that he's the only one where I did not prefer his performance to the Lugosi version. Yeah, I, I thought um, Pablo Alvarez Rubio as Renfield was great. He was a standout. He was really yes. fantastic. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong, Dwight Fry, I also thought was very good in the Lugosi Dracula and was honestly the performance that stood out to me the most. But yeah, no, like what Pablo was doing here was... Yeah. <laughs> like the, um, in the interview with Lupita, she said like, oh, we were all scared he was actually like going crazy or like Mentally I, I, I shouldn't unraveling. use the term yeah i shouldn't use the term crazy but you know like yeah. um becoming unhinged or disturbed yeah. um but L losing uh, having some sort of break with reality yeah exactly yeah so that's kind of a testament to um the effect his his level of um commitment it was in yeah. acting was having yes um, yeah well, let's no, bring it Let's bring yeah. it to the very beginning because Woo. he's, yeah, because he's in the first scene. So, yes, you know, it's carriage. like there are a lot of, yeah. So we start in the carriage just as we did for the, um, for the last one. But, you know, and that's one of the interesting things about this is that there are so many similarities, but there are also a lot of differences. And so like right off the bat in this first scene, we have some, dis some differences where mm -hmm. there's this bit where like one of the women in the carriage is like reading and she keeps falling into yes. Renfield's lap kind of in a, <laughs> in a bit of an untoward way. Um, yeah. And, he, and like, I think her mom is like kind of being like, tell us more about what you're reading about and stop trying to fall into men's laps. And <laughs> yeah, there's a point where he's like, she kind of, you know, she kind of is like, oh, and and he like calls to the to the carriage, and he's like, you should slow down. Like you're tossing ladies around. <laughs> uh, yeah, I wonder. Um, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but I notice when in this first scene where that is happening, um, and also in conjunction with uh, Pablo's performance and um, its differences from Dwight Fry, I was kind of wondering here, but like as we'll see later on, I'm like, th there is not as much of a um kind of queer subtext to him in Dracula as I found to be in the Lugosi one right from the bat here like with the scene of like the girl falling into his lap and him kind of giving mm -hmm. her eyes and he's um I don't know just playing it much more as like a straight man um kind of <laughs> sorry <laughs> um, every time we his... talk about a straight man on the show but um <laughs> hey if um. the character if the actor's playing the straight man um yeah so that's maybe i'm reading a bit too much into it but we can get more into that maybe when we get to the scenes with dracula but i think that raises an interesting question though um because subtextual queerness is something that we've talked about for the for you know all of our full-length episodes so far um so i think that raising that is definitely you know worth talking you know it's worth raising because you know as we mentioned earlier like this film does have a sensuality and an eroticism that is pr lacking from lugosi's version and from nosferatu so you know, looking at where those differences manifest 
is interesting. Um, but mm-hmm. yes, yeah, so they're in they're in the carriage. They're having this kind of funny little bit, and they arrive, and we go through the kind of same process where he reveals that he's going to get a carriage at midnight to Count Dracula's um, castle. And they all kind of express horror at this. Um, And so then, you know, he convinces a guy to take him. They go, he gets the carriage and we see Melford um, kind of, you you know, like doing this really intense stare. I think that, um, I think that the staring and his facial expressions um, is I did notice that pretty quickly. Like, I think that the differences um, between his performance and Lugosi's didn't bother me as much as you, but mm. pretty immediately I felt that Viarius said that his wide eyed kind of stare that I think that yeah. he was meant to kind of be giving like a ghoulish vibe but mm. it mostly, I, I, it always was like he was a little bit surprised looking. Um, and then he does a lot <laughs> oh, of like yeah. baring his teeth. Yeah. But it like never that. really I... sold as baring his teeth. It always felt more like he was like no. grinning really, like he was so he, uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I think he, well, for one, he wasn't being served by. Um, the the lighting in terms of the close-ups because they uh they did the close-up of his eyes in an entirely different way from when they did it for mm-hmm. Lugosi in the Spanish version they have like an extreme close-up of his eyes kind of looking off camera almost yeah. a little bit um with Lugosi they kind of keep it to a close-up you can still see his kind of head and shoulders in the frame mm-hmm. but there's that bar of light on his yeah. eyes that kind of really highlights them and he mm-hmm. he doesn't really do any kind of facial I guess grimacing in any way he just keeps it like very still and I think that maybe Mm -hmm. kind of adds to like the presence or the intimidation factor Mm -hmm. so I don't know this seems to be like a an unfortunate case of maybe some uh, misdirection maybe some I I don't know some not flattering (laughs) cinematography or not the best kind of cinematography here it's it's interesting that you say that because there are moments where I felt the cinematography or the editing at least was a lot stronger. Um, oh no, like in the whole yeah in the movie As a in whole. general, yes, yes, the cinematography is so much better. I, I'm just talking mm-hmm. specifically in terms of how they did the close-ups for him. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he gets in the carriage. We have the same moment where he looks out the window and a bat <laughs> the is bat, the, the bat is driving the carriage. Bat. Yes. Um, but I have in my notes that even at this early stage, I felt Renfield's rising discomfort Mm -hmm. and rising fear much better than I have in past versions because like in Bela Lugosi's version, like he, he's just seems weirdly like unconcerned by all these things or it just felt a little (laughs) stiff or something but this I feel much more like this is like a positive guy who's trying to have like a bright outlook on life Mm -hmm. and give people the benefit of the doubt you know Mm -hmm. um and that he's kind of like oh this is this is a little weird it's a little Mm -hmm. intense um so we get to the castle and we have our famous encounter 
on the steps. Yes. It's so much better. I knew there was a crane tracking shot. <laughs> yeah, I think that it's interesting because I saw that a con that like a modern critic said that this version of the film was a lot less dynamic than the Lugosi version. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like what the movie did you watch? <laughs> yeah, I found that they made much better use of camera movement and like tracks, mm -hmm. pans, tilts, all of it. Yeah, I think I have in my notes here, I wrote, love the low angle or Dutch angle of the bat flying up mm -hmm. into like the window when Renfield is in the foyer area. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, no, the camera works just a lot more dynamic, I think. And there's that great um, kind of, I, I don't know if I'm using the right terminology, but it's like the tracking or, or I guess a crane shot up the stairs to Dracula as he's standing there. That would probably have been a crane because yeah. I don't know if we had the technology for a track that would go up the stairs that way probably not um yeah yeah and that even and that that would have just been so expensive um mm -hmm. yeah so but yeah i agree i have in my notes i think the camera i've seen there have been much better camera angles um and that's like mm -hmm. my third note or something yeah um, nulford realized cameras could move <laughs> yes yes um yeah <laughs> And that it's just like, it's the space is more fully inhabited. Like it you, feels mm -hmm. more, there, there's, a, there's literally more depth because the camera is showing you the depth of the space by moving through it. And so Absolutely. it felt, it felt more like a space that people were really in and less like a facade that two stage actors were kind of standing in front of. Absolutely. And and it helped to give the castle a lot more atmosphere, mm -hmm. a lot more spookiness, I think. Mm -hmm. So this brings us to the dinner, <laughs> which we have consistently kind of um, nagged, I, I would say, almost <laughs> a little bit. This is the third rendition of the bread. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, I have it in my notes. Wait, hold on. I have right here. We're back to cutting the bread. What a journey. Huge ass loaf. Still cuts towards. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I have all caps, um, the fucking bread again. <laughs> um, but I will say, I think <laughs> this is so ridiculous. I think that this is the best version of, of the bread cutting that yes. we've seen so far first yes, of all I agree. first of all it's a loaf with a much firmer crust <laughs> so, <laughs> it's so big too yeah like so, he, so, he really yeah. yeah absolutely just from a logistics standpoint i believe the struggle to cut a slice of this crusty <laughs> sourdough way more than past, <laughs> past versions um <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, wow, just what a journey we've been on with the, yeah. the it, what is Jonathan cutting in the scene? Will it be bread? Will it not be bread? <laughs> yeah. I just, it's, yeah, it's just that we've been kind of forced to accept, um, <laughs> to accept that this is the, the introduction to the bloodlust is just failing. So, um, so just to clarify for the listeners, um, what we are referring to is a moment in which Dracula or Count Orlock has 
finally had a feast laid out for Renfield. And Renfield takes a loaf of bread and picks it up to slice off a piece for himself. And he cuts towards himself and the bread slips and he slices open his thumb. And in all three versions, this is the first moment that we get to that we see bloodlust actually happening and being triggered. And so aside from the fact that we just had to talk about the fact that this fucking bread has refused to die. Um, I think that this is the most visceral version of this moment that we have had so far. Absolutely. I agree. And I will <laughs> quick thing though, in the Lugosi one, he is opening an envelope. It is not bread, which is why. <laughs> Well, that's why I was so excited, because in the Spanish language version, I was like, what? We're back to the bread now? And so that's why I'm saying we've come full circle. Um, so, yeah, that's so yeah. interesting. That's so yeah, interesting. I, it honestly makes more sense. He's cutting bread, I think. Um, well, because I like, was Like, why thinking, are you doing like, business at dinner? Yeah, what? Like, save that for later. This is this is the time for, you know... Ex- for a meal. Yeah, exactly. For Passion sharing decorum. fine wine. Yes. <laughs> yeah, where are your table manners? Yeah. Um, but in some ways, it kind of fits with this idea that he's, like, cutting bread. He's eating. He's having this meal. And then he's bleeding. And that is mm-hmm. the meal for Dracula. You know, like, that's the first time that yeah. he has been tempted. Now it's a feast for both of them, you know? Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I wrote in my notes um, in that uh, where he, Dracula looks at his the blood, he looks a lot more feral, I think. Yes. Like, it's like a real, like a bloodlust yes. taking over, which was so interesting. And we have the crucifix that he's wearing fall down. Mm-hmm. And uh, but we do not get the very dramatic arm throw over the face that Lugosi does. <laughs> we get that version. later in the film. We we get some theatrics for sure. <laughs> yeah, but I just want to return to what you said about like the bloodlust because mm-hmm. for me that was the like overall. I think that Lugosi. I was talking to my mom about this. Like when I compare or when I put them next to each other, and kind of look at the differences between these performances I kind of buy the kind of the villain just straight up creep weirdo vibes from Lugosi more so Mm -hmm. but when I watch the Melford version I believe in Biarius's like bloodlust in a way that I don't know if I believe that Lugosi is like, I believe that Lugosi is like there to cause problems, that he's not a good guy. <laughs> but I don't know that I buy his like desire for the blood the same way. And you had mentioned that like some of these close ups on Viarius are maybe not as technically well executed um, as some of the ones from Browning's version. But I think that the way that close ups are used in Melford's version is much more effective and there are also overall a lot more close-ups like Mm -hmm. this film the cinematography is more dynamic motion wise but also framing wise because I think that most of Browning's version was you know like standard mediums and kind of American shots you know where we're getting like the whole room and people from the knees up Mm -hmm. And I felt yeah. like there was a wider range of like 
you know, tight framings and then more wide angles. So the moment where mm-hmm. we see the close up of the blood on the thumb and then we see him have this really intense, there's a close up of him kind of mm-hmm. being like, I want to eat that. Um, <laughs> and I felt that more so than I have in other iterations of this moment. Yeah, that's so interesting you bring that up because I think it kind of brings us into one of the larger themes or um, I guess maybe not issues, but um, kind of ideas of characterization regarding vampires Mm -hmm. in media that we'll see in subsequent um, movies and shows that we watch, which is like how, how human how what like how humanoid versus how Mm. kind of feral or monstrous or animalistic do Mm -hmm. we want these creatures to be and it's it's a very wide spectrum i think yeah um and yeah it's so interesting that you touch on how in this version you get much more sense of like the feralness the animal aspect of the vampire which i i would agree you don't necessarily get as much from lugosi um and again who knows if that could just be from like them not being able to be as explicit todd browning not giving a shit or whatever but um yeah no i think that's a really interesting point yeah and i think you you raise a really interesting point in terms of you know over the course of this show we're gonna see a lot of different interpretations of the way that vampirism moves you further from humanity and what that looks like. And then also, but even just like the blood, like the question of the blood itself, because, you know, like you look at a film like Daybreakers, they're literally having the blood in their morning coffee. Like it feels Mm -hmm. very much like food. Like Mm -hmm. that's, that's feels more like it's about like famine. And then Mm -hmm. you have things like, True Blood, um, I would say, where there's more eroticism in the blood itself. Like, it's not Mm -hmm. just that vampires are like, I drink blood because I need it. It's food that like there's a desire of like that it's hot and sexy. Yeah, it gets you high. (laughs) Yeah, it gets you high. It feels like it's so much more closely tied to sex. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think that you also that that is something that remains a constant presence is everyone is kind of putting their own spin on, you know, like, is a vampire basically just a person with a different diet? Or is a vampire someone that experiences the world at a completely different level um Mm -hmm. yeah so anyway returning to our our (laughs) humble dinner um or i guess it's not that humble but the reason that (laughs) i want to return (laughs) yes yeah it's a good spread it's a it's in a castle um (laughs) the reason that i want to return to this and not kind of move forward further forward in the film is your question or your your comment about the homoeroticism because like Mm. past versions the bed that Renfield sleeps in is still in this same room so and it is mentioned yes and so (laughs) it is a little different though the way it happens where like they go over to the bed and he like pulls out all of the paperwork and all of this stuff and they're like 
signing the lease like on mm-hmm. the bed like they're standing right mm-hmm. over the bed oh interesting um, yeah I and so that. yeah I was kind of like totally normal and chill place to do the paperwork on <laughs> on the massive king-size velvet brocade bed versus the table that was like not 10 feet away um but I do think that you're right that there is um there is a bit less of a of an erotic vibe there, I think, especially because a few moments later, um, we see the wives feed mm. on him. And in Lugosi's version, Dracula stops the wives right. and is like, he's mm-hmm. mine. <laughs> <laughs> he's my boo. Yeah. And in this, he's my blood bag. Um, <laughs> um, and in this version, we don't see that. The The implication is that the wives, all three of them, I suppose, feed on Renfield, which is mm. definitely, I think, a very kind of erotic implication. It's just different yeah. than the implication of the other versions that we've seen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, even in just um, also, I like it, it should be noted that like I am, I'm an English speaker and I do not speak Spanish, so I'm sure there could be um, some nuances in mm-hmm. delivery and yeah. performance that is just being lost um, in translation for me. Um, but yeah, even when Dracula says, "I like hope you like the bed and everything," Renfield just like is like looks great and like yes. Dwight like and, and like Dwight Fry I don't know like I think Dwight Fry was bringing it a little bit of that um kind of homoerotic element when he's just like oh thanks looks very inviting yes yeah, <laughs> yeah yes. just <laughs> he he and Lugosi had something there was an energy there um uh yeah which is I yeah. I didn't think was quite there um but yeah I also I'm glad you brought up the wives and how um yeah, the the implication that they feed on them, which they don't get to do in the Lugosi one. Glad they got to do it here. They had to. They got to drink some blood. Um, mm-hmm. it, it it does um, kind of pivot that sexuality or that sexual implication away from that homoeroticism to a much more straightforward, like straight one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say, I you kind of get. Um, like, you know what you're getting into when you see them, because unlike in the Bela Lugosi one, their hair is down. They have like really heavy makeup. Yeah. Their clothes, I think like their dresses are sleeveless. So it's like, all right, here we go. We're going to. Yes. We're getting sexy in this one. Yeah. Yeah. There's more skin that's shown. Mm -hmm. I think there's also more touching that happens overall because I'm looking at my notes and I have that when they're doing the paperwork there's a moment where dracula like puts his hand on renfield's shoulder Mm. and makes really intense Mm -hmm. eye contact and that's something that happens a few times especially with ava later in the film where dracula is kind of like finding reasons to touch people um Mm -hmm. invading those personal spaces yeah yeah. also and just quickly i kind of like that uh there was a little bit more of I guess context for the plot just given in these yes. business scenes where he's like I'm bringing three coffins with me and yeah. like they're talking about the abbey it's like mm-hmm. 
you know, again, just when you don't have your director ripping out pages from the yeah. script, it's amazing what you can get from yeah, the story. I felt Yeah, I felt like things made a lot more sense to me. I felt like I had a better yeah. picture of, like, why things were happening. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, one of the big problems with Lugosi's, with Browning's version of the film that we talked about uh, a lot was that it's almost entirely like it's 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 in film almost entirely made up of scenes of people talking about things that just happened off camera right yeah, yeah. and that is like that is not exciting it's not good mm-hmm. storytelling it's not action driven um and so is <laughs> so you know to see Melfer's version where we're seeing things happen and there's a bit less time spent with like people sitting around and being like oh did you hear about this um yeah Yeah. so I agree that things are a lot clearer and that I think is down to the directing and then also to the dialogue and the fact that as you're saying things have not been kind of rage removed (laughs) um but that there's also some stuff that I don't think We've had any of the moments of stuff that is like completely new, but there are some moments that we'll um, touch upon that are um, completely new to this version of the film. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the whole thing, like you're saying, he mentions like, I'm only bringing three boxes with me to London. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, but the, what's funny about that though is that it should be four. So that means right. that one of the wives just doesn't get to come. <laughs> <laughs> or like what, like two have to share. Um. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's funny. Yeah. So we do get, we do get our moment on the ship. I think it's a oh. bit briefer than it's, a, we don't, I will oh. say like, we don't get that classic shot of Renfield like cackling at the bottom of the stairs, but we do get no. him cackling through a porthole. Yes, I actually thought this scene was a bit longer, maybe. Oh, than, okay, um, interesting. Well, maybe maybe there's less scenes with Renfield. I don't know. Um, but yeah, no, I oh gosh, I I just loved this version uh, of that scene, especially because of Renfield's maniacal laughter just sounds yeah. so good um yes yeah and it's just like it was i think a really really effective at conveying like oh wow no he's like fully like he's fully become dracula's familiar here um yes and um also we get we actually get to see dracula on the ship like yeah which we don't in the lugosi version we see him slowly emerging in the horror of all the other mm-hmm. um crew members which you know, realistically, it doesn't make much sense. They would just be like, "Why is a dude with a tux on this tail, uh, like, or on the ship? <laughs> why are you in a box, sir? Sir, sir, why? <laughs> um, there are but, cabins." Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I thought it was really good. But yeah, sadly, we don't get that shot of Dwight Fry's face, which was very good. Honestly, yeah. maybe one of the best shots in the movie from the Lugosi one. Yeah, yeah, and it made it into Renfield. I just I just oh. watched Renfield, um, and yeah, uh, and I liked it. I can't but wait. To... That is, we're going to be covering Renfield in two years. <laughs> in fifty, no, fifty years from now when we come to Renfield, because yeah. there's only five hundred million vampire movies and shows to watch. 
Yes. Uh, we'll get there, though. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so we make it to London. Um, we make it to the, you know, the state, the theater performance. And this is another moment where things just make a bit more sense. You know, I feel like <laughs> yeah. I feel like Dracula's psychic powers are a lot more apparent in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And they're kind of a bit more like they're just easier to follow. I think there's a lot of things that are just easier to follow in this film. Um, and so this is another moment. This is when um, this is when Dracula and Ava first meet and that that obsession is kind of kicked off. Um, mm-hmm. And Ava or Lucia? Yeah. So they're together. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Both. Yeah. yeah. So um... we have Ava and her husband, Juan. And her good and her father and her good friend uh, Lucia, um, who's oh, yeah, played Lucia. by. Let me just see who plays Lucia. Um, Carmen Guerrero. Um, yeah. And so one of the reasons that I want to touch on this scene is because this is, um, and I wish that I could remember. I don't. I don't think that this was in Lugosi's version, but. Lucia and Dracula are kind of exchanging poetry almost. That it's... is in the Lugosi version, okay. but I think it's better done here. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um it's it's all in a way it's almost it's very Romeo and Juliet almost that they mm-hmm. like kind of have this. But there's this one point where Dracula says, something worse than death lies in wait for yes. the living. Um and I felt like that moment really felt like then I started to feel a bit of the horror, you know? Yes, because I think Lugosi says that line as well. But, you know, um, we're, we're in a much better directed film here. So I think that uh, the line came across, as you said, more effectively. It, it conveyed the horror. And yeah, I agree. And also just like, this is just kind of superficial, but I just want to say I love how, like, I love the costume so much more for mm-hmm. the women in this movie. Yes. <laughs> like, I love how glamorous Lucia and yes. uh, Ava look. It's like, yes, these women are here for the opera. They have like their hair done. They're wearing like diamond earrings and they're like mink um, yes. shawls and things like that. Um, it's funny how um, I think the the actress who plays Ava believe her name was uh, Lupita Tovar. That's right, mm-hmm. Lupita. Um, she said she, uh, when she was watching the English language version, she was like, why are Mina's dresses so buttoned up? She's like, yeah. they're like up to her neck. She's like, I was wearing some low cut stuff. And I just thought like that was the costumes we were all wearing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's um, one of the, I have a quote from, I have a quote from someone. Yes. So I have a quote from, Paul Koner, who was the producer, who was really like the man on the ground. Um, Actually, no, I think that this is the son of the producer. Mm. Yeah. And he said they didn't have to contend with the Hayes office, the censorship. Mm -hmm. My mother wore a low cut negligee and it was very sexy. My father, who was in love with my mother, (laughs) he was on set. He was producing it, made sure it was a better film. Mm. Um, And so I think that. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, I think that... Like, that's my wife. (laughs) Yeah, he's like, you better light her, right? (laughs) Um, Yeah, so that's such a sweet idea that that he, 
that there was this couple, this young couple, and they yeah. were in love, and that that was like one of the things. Like, um, there's a lot of things about this version of Dracula where it, mm-hmm. it just is a better story inside yes. and outside. Yes. You know, the context yeah. of like the film. Like, yeah, the way Lupita talks about every single cast member is just like with such love. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she always says how wonderful they were. And it's just like, you really get a sense that this was a cast that got yeah. along well, <laughs> I think. And yeah. George, George Melford, kudos to him for creating a good set environment. Yes. Yeah. And we forgot to mention that George Melford also directed um, The Sheik. The Sheik. <laughs> yes. yes. So One he, of my faves. Yeah. So he, he had a reputation to uphold. He... Um, he was someone who did a lot of these Spanish language versions. So I get the sense that he took his job really seriously um, and that mm-hmm. maybe he was kind of like, you know, I've been shunted off into doing these Spanish language versions, but like I'm going to make them better than the English yeah. language versions, which is something that I know everyone on the set felt was mm-hmm. from my research was that everyone was in this situation where they were like we know that we are kind of the like they're literally like the night crew you know yeah they have Mm -hmm. less money less resources less support but they all wanted to do something better and to be and they were successful um so i think that Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things that we haven't talked about, but that I think is a big part of that is that another reason that I think that this film is so great to talk about because of its place in vampire cinema and then also its interesting kind of production story is the way that it fits into the history of like race in American cinema. And Mm -hmm. just the Mm -hmm. fact that like this is, you know, this was a film almost entirely of, you know, people of color, of like immigrants to America making this film. And, you know, it's a very, you know, like one of the interviews, like one of the articles that I read um, that, you know, they talked to some people. One of the people was talking about how, you know, like it's a very classic immigrant story that these people came and they wanted to make a name for themselves in this industry. And they were expected to make the same with less and that they you know overshot and made something even Mm. better than what they were supposed to be imitating um Mm -hmm. so I think that you know the way that this film speaks to some of the history in Hollywood around things like race and um and specifically like the treatment and exploitation of Latino and Latin American and like Latine workers um, and performers is also another reason that, you know, I was excited to once once we decided we were going to cover it. I was like, wow, like there's so many things about this film that are so like significant and interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so, so of course. We get to... <laughs> oh, yes, we're in the theater. Yes, of course. And we exchanged this. Um, and they exchange their, Lucia and Dracula have their moment and then Lucia and Ava have that great kind of very similar to the idol where Mm -hmm. it was like, (laughs) I kind of want someone more normal. And Lucia is like, I like that he's a freak. 
<laughs> I'm just a freak, yeah. I'm sorry, I had like you said it, so I had to like sing that song from the show. <laughs> oh uh, my god. Um yeah, no, it's it's the same. But again, like even going to bed, hmm, the looks are serving. Uh and of course we have to have Lucy in the black lace negligee, because you know. She's... Oh, that's right. We see her undress. Yeah. So it's like Yeah. I mean they're not yeah, yeah they're not as buttoned up and mm -hmm. yeah lucia has the black lacy negligee yeah and, um, ava has the more uh demure white one yeah on. but we're uh, still seeing bared like yeah. decollete and shoulders yeah we're seeing and... arms we're seeing <laughs> we're seeing arms we're seeing legs <laughs> we're seeing... <laughs> some shoulder action yeah. is going on <laughs> um, we're seeing um, it all yeah 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 and um yeah so we get into like the scene here where Dracula comes to drink Lucia's blood and it is a lot more racier, I would yes, say. Yes, we actually see it happen for one thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the... Well, first we have to have the, the flappy bat come in. Yes, yeah. <laughs> While Lucia falls asleep and, and then we see Dracula slowly approach. Very similar to the Lugosi one, but the scene continues... Yeah. Where where the the Lugosi one cuts off and I love the touch of him kind of taking the cloak and yes. draping it over both of their uh -huh. heads. It's yeah. like I don't think I've ever actually seen a vampire media where they use the like a cloak or something to like cover them, which I thought was neat. Right, I really you're... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really liked it too because he does it again later with Ava. Um mm -hmm. and I I really liked it because to me, it felt like it felt very intimate. Um, yes. And it's like, you know, yes, this film wasn't affected by the Hayes Code, but there was still like the mores of the time. Um, right. So, so like you couldn't actually see him bite her yeah. neck or do anything. But like there is that that sense of like um, a physicality and mm -hmm. like a, a, a contact occurring yes. between. Yeah these two and there's something there's also something kind of tantalizing about it of like you want to know what's happening behind I, oh the cloak. i know yeah and then the other reason that i like that is because there's a moment where eva is talking to juan about kind of the the nightmares and the the kind of for the sense of foreboding and doom mm. that she's been feeling and she says mm -hmm that she feels this kind of like enveloping at mm -hmm. night that, mm -hmm. that it feels like something surrounding her and closing yeah, like, in on her. Like closing in her throat. Yeah. Yes. And so that we see Dracula envelop people in the cloak, envelop yeah. people in his darkness. Literally. Literally. It, <laughs> it works very well, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was a, a moment that, Yeah. And, oh, I guess this also is around the time that Van Helsing gets introduced. Yes, who reminded me so much of the actor who plays Carson in Downton Abbey. What is that actor's name? <laughs> I'm trying to find him. Um, have you seen Downton Abbey? No, I have not. But as you search, I will say that this is yet another time where I felt... <laughs> Like, what was happening was much clearer. Like, 
Right. Van Helsing's yeah. arrival into the story makes a lot more sense. And like mm-hmm. the way that they do that is just that when Van Helsing is meeting with the guys, they're looking at Lucia's blood. And mm-hmm. it's like such a small change because it, oh, we've glossed over. Lucia dies, obviously. When he, oh, yeah. He, he drains her and kills yeah. her. They attempt to yes. give her a blood infusion that fails. And mm-hmm. so then the doctors and the surgeons and stuff are meeting with Van Helsing and they are examining her blood under a microscope. Um, yes. And so, so that. The a- oh, no, yes, I was just no, going to say. The, so the actor that, that plays Van Helsing is Eduardo Arozamena. Arozamena. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sorry again for my pronunciation. But yes, Jim Carter. That is who plays Carson in Downton Abbey. They look alike. <laughs> my brain kept thinking of Carson. <laughs> um yes well so yeah yes oh i i see the line that it was something tightens around me is what ava says um so at this point we're introduced to van helsing and renfield's turmoil and insanity has kind of progressed yes and um i think this is kind of where we get into um seeing really a lot of what the Lugosi version cut. There's mm-hmm. a lot more stuff with Renfield, yes. I think. Yeah. Um, and again, just um, the actor who plays Renfield, his name, what was his name? Uh, Pablo Al- Alvarez is just killing it. Yeah. He's so good. Um, but yeah, so they they interview, he's at the, the mental institute and mm-hmm. Van Helsing and Dr. Stewart, they bring him in for an interview and um, I, I think it's interesting also how he's talking um, about how um, my screams might worsen her nightmares. You'll be mm-hmm. responsible for whatever happens in regards to Ava. And I mm-hmm. think the movie does a much better job at setting up this kind of concern he has for Ava or like this impetus of a moral crisis he's going to be having mm-hmm. as the movie goes along. Yes. Yeah. And I think that morality and the role that morality plays and responsibility plays is is kind of interesting and i think that renfield is where a lot of the subtext and the kind of the the themes or the things that kind of go beyond the surface a lot of that lives with renfield and with his dialogue and the scenes that include him because another line from the film that really stuck out to me is in this scene where he's getting interviewed and he gets distracted and kind of entranced by a fly. And he goes to catch the fly. Um, and he realizes that everyone is watching and he stops himself from eating it. And he says, an inferior organism unworthy of my attention. <laughs> um, and then he, I think there's also a point where he says to someone, you know too much to go on living. Mm-hmm. And so authority and power like that that is such an intense thing to say in a film an inferior organism unworthy of my attention in a film about an immortal being that feeds off of humans and sees Mm -hmm. us as like cattle or whatever right yeah Yeah. kind of yeah bring brings again this other um long-standing kind of theme or concept and vampirism of like how does your perspective of humanity change mm-hmm. when you are basically at the top of the food chain and they're a food source for you? Yes. Yeah, exactly. And 
Um, yeah, and just what happens when reality kind of when you know that reality is not what you've known it to be before you, mm, you know like yes vampirism vampires like this is like a folklore tradition like this is like a folkloric kind of world that we're in and i think that ren one of the reasons that i find renfield's performance so compelling in this like why I find Renfield's character so much more compelling in this is that I very much feel him reckoning with like, oh shit, like people that like, it's possible to be immortal. It's possible mm -hmm. to like yeah. turn into a bat. It's possible to like, you know, like transform my body and like control people's minds and like read people's thoughts and that would be really destabilizing, you know, yes. that especially if no one believed that it was happening. So I think mm -hmm. that, you know, I think that that is something where I find like I find a lot of sympathy for Renfield there. And it also brings that kind that idea also brings me to another one of what I thought was the most significant lines in the film was um I think Van Helsing says what gives vampires their power is that people refuse to believe in them. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. like power authority and like belief, believing what you see and like, and kind of thinking that you're safe because of the things that, you know, um, mm -hmm. I think are major themes in the film that I did not experience in Browning's version with Lugosi. Yeah, yeah, no, and it's interesting you raise that because I think it it actually, in a way, is a lot more. Um, it, it it jives a lot more with or is relevant to the themes of uh, the original text, which has a, a big theme of this kind of tension between, um, kind of a like the post-enlightenment industrial age like we are in this like age of like knowledge and we have all of these technological innovations and we're rational human beings and this you know folkloric concept coming into these very <laughs> rational people's lives and kind of that tension and reconciling with that in a world that no longer believes um in those kinds of things so yeah i think that's touched on much better here like you said as opposed to the lugosi one yeah yeah and so this brings us to i think this brings us to dracula and van helsing meeting for the first mm -hmm. time yes um yeah well i i will just say quickly there is that little i think a little scene with juan and um uh, Ava and I just I thought it was so funny where he said are you worried about something and I wrote down well my best friend did just die very suddenly and under mysteriously circumstances so I don't know <laughs> yeah there is a moment where she says that she had a nightmare the night after Lucia was buried and then mm -hmm. someone and then Van Helsing is like well what do you think could possibly have caused such a nightmare and it's mm -hmm. like her best friend was just put yeah. in the ground. You wouldn't have a bad dream. <laughs> you wouldn't be scared. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, like, I, I think I have in my notes here. Um, I'm trying to find it. Um, 
about Juan. Oh my gosh. Okay, this is not against the actor. This is just the nature of the character in this mm -hmm. version. But I wrote, I didn't think it was possible for Jonathan to have less of a personality than in the English one. But damn, he's like if a wax figurine came to life. I have Harker's role is basically non-existent, and that's the only he's, thing. He's like, you know the trope, the sexy lamp, where, yeah. like, if you have a sexy woman, it doesn't, like, in like, she's superfluous, but you yeah. could replace her to the lamp. I feel like that's the case with Juan here. Like, you can yeah. replace him with a lamp and lose nothing. It's true. Yeah, it's true. Um, so, oh, and speaking of people's kind of lack of sympathy... The actor, we've talked a lot about um, about the actor who played Brenfield, Pablo Alvarez Rubio. And we've talked a little bit about Lupita Tavar. I just want to say again that she gives a really, really strong performance. Yes. her. I felt like her grief over losing Lucia felt so mm -hmm. much more real. She had tears glistening in her oh, eyes. Yeah. She feels so much more vulnerable. Yes. Yeah. She mm -hmm. just feels more, she just feels less like a damsel in distress to me and more like, mm -hmm. and, and, and more like a woman who is being like victimized or like, you know, kind of stalked yeah. and it feels less. Yeah. yeah. I think it just feels a bit more natural. Um, like even when she has those manic moments where she's like under the thrall, mm -hmm. um, those felt like in the Lugosi's version, it felt very buttoned up and stiff where she was like crazy all of a sudden and then fine. And then yeah. in this one, mm -hmm. she's kind of like, there's a looseness with her body and the yeah. way that, yeah. So she just kind she's of- stressed, yeah. Yes, you actually, like, I was really surprised because I had read that the costumes were different and had seen, yeah, like you, like you she comes out in nipples. this dressing gown and you can see her nipples. Like you, like her it's breasts like, are very it's visible. Like, damn, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's even some moments where she's sitting, leaning back and like the dress kind of shifts. So it's not mm -hmm. even like it's not even like we can see her nipples through the dress. There are almost moments where we can just see her yeah. nipples, like just in general. It's um, like, wow, we're getting to like silent film territory here. Because if for anyone who doesn't, our listeners who don't know, like you could get pretty sexy in some silent films. Like, yeah, if you go far back enough, you could have like full nudity. Yeah, there, I've seen some. I've seen some early science films that have some nudity. There's, I there's this one that's like a woman getting in a bathtub and she like drops the towel, and then there's this mm. cut where you think you're gonna see her nude and you don't, but like she's clearly nude in the tub, but like she's covered. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah, that I she came out in that, and I was like, damn. Um, <laughs> okay, Ava. Yeah, yes. So, you know, at, at this point, we're in, we're, everything's kind of in the house now. We're like, we're yes, having these moments become... with Ava and Juan. We're having these moments with Van Helsing and Ava's father. And then Dracula arrives. Um, and it, it is kind of funny yeah. watching Dracula just kind of like stumble, like try to walk through all this shrubbery and bushes, like to the <laughs> house. Like, oh, he's having a little bit of a hard time there. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> Um, but then he arrives and he has like a very kind of charge moment with Ava, you know, where he like mm -hmm. kisses her hand really slowly and makes this really intense eye contact. 
And then he, and then what was interesting was that he kind of found a reason to touch her again, twice more in that scene where he, he touches her hand multiple times again after that. And so that was another thing where in Lugosi's version and even in Nosferatu, like the obsession for Ava slash Nina slash Mina is apparent, but like the desire for her felt Mm -hmm. less apparent. And so in this one, I do feel that Dracula like is coveting Ava that Mm -hmm. he like he's he's desiring her he's lusting for her Mm -hmm. definitely and yeah also in this film we get to see close-ups of the neck holes yes I have that in my notes (laughs) I have that in my notes too we see bite marks I think yes is is this the first time that we see bite marks um I think we see it once or twice in the movie I don't know if this is the first time but I, I think that like maybe initially when they're like what what's wrong like lower your scarf here and like yeah. van helsing takes a look i was like whoa yeah because i think blood that... has been drunk confirmed. Yes, <laughs> blood has been shed um <laughs> yes because i think maybe there was something in nosferatu and i think there was a time where like we were sh- like it was like someone said oh bite marks on your neck but like we couldn't actually see them because of like the low quality of the image but whether or not it's truly the first time, I also noticed that we saw the bite marks in a way that felt kind of saucy, you know, where she's got this mm-hmm. like tool or like this very sheer kind of neckline and she kind of like pulls it to the side and kind of shows her her throat um, in this kind of mm-hmm. alluring way. Um, yeah, so yeah. the I also think that in terms of other things that this whole sequence with Van Helsing and Dracula and everyone in the house, I think that this, the moment where Van Helsing sees that Dracula does not have a reflection and, Mm -hmm. and realizes that Dracula is the vampire. I think that that's also much better done. That's so interesting. Okay. That's really interesting. You said that because I actually preferred the Lugosi version where it's fascinating. I I think it's more, maybe not so much how it's done as, as like the actor's responses. I think Mm -hmm. I preferred Lugosi's much more natural. They're like, Hey, look at this mirror here. And he just like quickly slams it down. Uh Like almost like, so like no one can see, um, with, um, this version, the Dracula takes a much more kind of dramatic, like then takes his cane and slams it down very dramatically. So I, I think I yes. just preferred Lugosi's more natural response. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, so in this version, just to kind of like paint a picture of it, um, <clears throat> Dracula has so chivalrous, chivalrous, chival, chival? Chivalrously? <laughs> Chivalrously. <laughs> um, escorted Ava to the bottom of the staircase where he's kind of giving her another like long unnecessary kiss on the hand um and in the drawing room um van helsing has this like cigar case or cigarette case or snuff box Mm -hmm. or something that has a mirror yeah Yeah. inlaid in it and he sees that i kind of like this because eva's hand is in the air and you know you can Mm -hmm. see that she's talking to someone but there's no one there so i kind of like just like the physicality of that like the physical performance of her holding her Mm -hmm. hand out to no one um Mm -hmm. but then he 
you're right that he Dracula he calls Dracula back over and he shows him and Dracula just like smashes the 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 cigarette box out of his hand and cigarettes go flying everywhere and after a very kinda, long pause of like oh no they yeah. got me yeah and then he kind of then he tries to act normal after yeah and like it's that's like, what i'm really, saying you can't really no, like, recover from that like with Lugosi, it was like a quick little slap down like no one saw it um yeah so yeah <laughs> yes yeah um, that was that's yeah, true the cigarettes so... go flying Cigarettes go flying. <laughs> um, yeah, and then so then we we get a bit more of. I think at this point we get a bit more of. Renfield is also here. He keeps sneaking out of. Um, I I I'm on like okay. This is where like in my brain these mil these films just start to all like melt. Yes. for me like yes. these two versions because there are so many scenes where like Dracula or not Dracula Renfield is brought into like a living room or an office or he's on like the balcony he's always like because he's basically the, the the middle man I guess yeah. between the Scooby gang here and yeah. Dracula and uh, but it's just like you lose track how many times yes. this is happening and you know it's it's always great like his performance yeah. is always amazing and in like the stuff he says but it's like it's all starting to melt it um, is and it always happens in a similar way where someone's like bring in that insane fella yeah and they're just like <laughs> <laughs> just like oh my gosh Renfield's gotta sleep too like let him try yeah. to get some sleep <laughs> yeah it's or that he's like well there's in this one we see that there's like bent prison window bars and, and like yeah, which the guy's like he pretty... must be Hercules um pretty sick um <laughs> yeah which is which is funny um but also goes yeah. to develop like i feel like renfield's powers are also kind of more developed here as yeah. well um yes but but you are right that we get a lot of similar things one thing that was a difference that stuck out to me um was that he's on this like sun porch when the maid collapses and we have the moment where he crawls to her and I also kind of liked this. I think that um, I think that the actor kind of sold it a bit more. The crawling across the ground to the collapsed maid to like, you know, where he's like, yeah, you know, kind of going to like drink her blood or whatever it is. I thought that that was I'm glad they kept it. I thought that they did a good yeah. job of it. I I really like that scene too, and I'm glad they kept it. Once again, though, interesting. I refer to the Lugosi version. I think in this case, it's not so much the performance as just maybe the framing or the where the camera was placed in the framing. I just loved how the camera was just like basically locked down on the ground, and you see mm -hmm. Renfield basically crawling straight towards the camera. Yeah. In this version, he's kind of coming t from the right of the the frame yeah he's coming from the right the background maid. yeah yeah maybe i'm just being nitpicky here but I, I i just prefer to the uh the lugosi films framing of that shot yeah i think no you're totally i think that you're right that if we were to just put those two next to each other and just pull a group and be like which is a more exciting framing to you mm -hmm. they would probably pick the the browning the front version of the shot yeah um but i think i just I think I was just more charmed by this version mm. of the film overall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So while this is happening, Ava and Juan are having their conversation and Ava is like fully, 
you know, under the spell. Yes. And this she's got her sexy nightgown on. Yeah, she's got her sexy nightgown. She's like really she's feeling that she's like, you know, she's like walking around and like spreading her arms out. Like what an incredible mm-hmm. like thing. And I love that the way that her gown kind of twists around her because there's a couple moments where she yeah. like turns in a circle and you see her mm-hmm. skirt kind of swirl around her feet in a nice way. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But the real reason that I want to, that this, I'm bringing up this scene is that Ava bites Juan. Yes. Um, and it is the first time that we have seen a woman mm-hmm. um, do the biting. Like it was definitely implied earlier in the film. Like we see the wives kind of descend. But this is the first time we see a woman teeth out lunge for a neck. <laughs> Yeah, and I and it, it, we also get kind of this um, this implication of like this bloodlust um, coinciding with like this, you know, much more kind of fervent or overt sexuality in yes. the female character. Yeah. Like it's like <laughs> you don't see them doing this with Dracula, but it's like oh, before she gets the bloodlust, she has to like be very overtly like horny, basically. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I guess, well, Dracula's horny too, but like with the woman, like Dracula's not wearing a low-cut negligee, so. Mm-hmm. Um, but. I agree that, that Ava seems intoxicated by... Yes, because she's like just drunk and like, yeah. they're like, what are, you, what are you doing? Which is something that we see, you know, that something that kind of becomes, again, with this idea of folklore and like the layering of collective knowledge and like the sedimentary kind of nature of things like this. Like now today, all of these um, like just under a hundred years later, like this idea that, that when you get turned, it's like almost like you're drunk. Like there are so many things yeah. where like interview with a vampire, fresh vampires are like drunk on drunk on the fact that they're immortal they all mm-hmm. these new senses all these mm-hmm. new abilities like midnight mass we have a similar vibe where people are kind of like feel high um mm-hmm. true blood jessica you know when jessica is yeah. turned she's like mm-hmm. this is amazing and she literally just runs away <laughs> right. because she's like i can move fast that feels so yeah. good um mm-hmm. so i think that maybe this is the first example of that intoxicating heady feeling of like coming into vampiric power um Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. is really cool to see definitely yeah yeah definitely um so yeah so ava tries to bite juan um and i think i think it is the scene after this we were again maybe we're a little jumbled with our later scenes here but uh, the the confrontation between Van Helsing and Dracula happens, and oh, I'm sorry, their facial reactions were just so silly. I thought, yeah, and the fake out where he was like, "Did you put it away?" <laughs> he has the cloak <laughs> covering his face, yeah. and he's like, "Put the cross away." Did you yeah. put the cross away? <laughs> it's like I promise. Yeah, I'm it's like, like it's very very silly that Van Helsing when- was like, "Oh, I'll just pretend to have put the cross away." <laughs> You got him. Um, yeah, yeah, which is which is interesting considering that um, 
I would say this is one of the weakest scenes in the film, whereas this confrontation scene in the Lugosi one would just, I would say, the strongest scene in the film, where I felt like both actors were really... In, in it, you felt like, I think you said, Dracula was really, like, controlling his mind and Van Helsing was really resisting there. Um, I thought mm -hmm. Lugosi was more natural in that scene, and it's just like, yeah, that scene was great. Um, and in this version, it's just, like, the close-ups of them, and they're just, like, weirdly, like, kind of mugging yeah <laughs> kind of mugging both of yeah. them i was like what what are you doing i think that this is one of the things in terms of like it's a product of its time mm -hmm. we were not really at the like this was not the kind of movie where there was going to be like a fist fight <laughs> but if this this you know this is a scene where you kind of wish like Maybe they should have, like, brawled a little bit instead of just stared at each yeah. other. <laughs> well, also, it's, like, I, it's still kind of early in film, so it's, like, maybe we're not quite at naturalism yet here. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's also fair. So. And it's it's true. It's also true that, um, that this adaptation, <laughs> that QA, I think QA's adaptation of, Garrett for its adaptation of the stage play, <laughs> which is an adaptation of the book. Like, I think yeah. you're right that, like, there were none of these versions would have really had, like, and then they drew swords and dueled. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, in the original book, there isn't even that much action in the book. It's a lot of, it's mostly it's like letters and diary entries, right? It's epistolary. A lot of letters and diaries, entries, Dracula's attacks happening kind of, you know, like the like the characters arrive too late. It only really kind of gets action-y, I guess, for lack of a better term, right towards the end where they're chasing him down to Transylvania mm -hmm. to, the, to kill him. Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah, no. This yes. Scene. Well... We have, so the the, moment, the silly moment with the cross happens. Dracula mm -hmm. flees, summons Ava to him. He does the same thing that he did to Lucia, where he kind of, and they're in the yard against a tree, and he kind of envelops her in his cloak, mm -hmm. presumably feeds off her again. And from there, we go to the abbey, where Dracula has, like, carried Eva's, like, unconscious mm -hmm. body to the abbey yes. yeah yeah and i will say props to lugosi for proper bridal carrying position he's giving that um mina full back support here it looked incredibly uncomfortable <laughs> she was flat like <laughs> you have to do a proper bridal carry because otherwise yeah. you know just gotta gotta support that back um but yeah I here like it, she looked very believably limp yeah <laughs> Well, yeah, no, it's believable, but it's just like that poor actress. Yes, yeah, <laughs> like, let's hope there weren't um, too many takes of that. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's a more, um, I would say, overtly sexual kind of moment. Because you have, like, Dracula, again, I which I found kind of muggy um, and theatrical, was, like, looking down at her very, like, oh, I can't wait to snack on her. Um, kind yes, of. yeah. Yeah, and that raise, that also kind of touches on... Where it makes me think of our conversation about Lugosi's Dracula in terms of the sensuality and that there are and that there are moments where like um, where like sexual violence or sexual abuse is kind of like the specter of 
of yeah. that kind of violence is over mm-hmm. things. And, you know, like when Ava is having this conversation with Juan, I think, yes, um, after when she's kind of more awake and scared and she's telling him, like, you can never touch me, you can never kiss me. She's talking about a nightmare and she's talking about the things that have been going on. And she says he opened a vein in his arm and he forced me Mm. to Mm -hmm. drink. And there's a really long pause after forced me. And then we see him wrap her in the cloak. And then the next time is we see is that he's carrying her unconscious body. So I think that you were right to point that out. I hadn't really noticed that as much as you did last time. And you having mentioned it watching this, I kind of noticed that a bit. And I did feel that, you know, like that kind of it's it's difficult to separate those two things, you know, because Mm -hmm. this is clearly um, there is an sensuality here and an eroticism here. Um, And so I think that that also kind of goes with. Yeah, just that there is a kind of like essay implication or there there is a reading oh, yeah. of that that is available. Like it's it's very mm-hmm. easy to kind of read that onto the things that happen and like the way that Ava describes some of the things that are happening to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And um, we also, I thought Renfield's death scene was a lot more gruesome. Yes, yeah, I'm like, yes, oh. excited. Um, yeah. But you see no, it, it was. You see, you yeah. act for one thing, you see it happen. Um, <laughs> I was so grateful for how many things we actually see happen on camera yeah. in this version. Yeah. Um, but um, we do, yeah. we see him beg for his life again. Yeah. And it's, it's sad because he's, again, I feel like his moral crises or moral con. Mm-hmm. Conflict has been much better set up in this movie. Yes. And you really feel it from the yeah. performance. And, yeah, you uh, do. Yeah. He's like, I can't die with the blood of so many innocent like souls on my hands. And yeah, Dracula, I cannot go brute. before God. Yeah. It's yes. the first half of that line. Yeah. Dracula pretty brutally like strangles him and throws him off the staircase. <laughs> also, when he put... <laughs> just tosses him over. <laughs> Yeah, like he, you could see the cut where it pretty it was pretty obviously a dummy. Um, yes, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, also when he just lays Ava on the staircase, there mm-hmm. were some shots of her on the staircase. I thought it were so beautiful. I was like, this almost mm-hmm. looks like a painting. Yeah, they did a really good where her arm is kind of splayed very yeah, artistically, and, the and hair her is hair is over. yeah, yeah, her hair is draped over the edge. I noticed that as well. I was like. Yeah, it feels very gothic. It feels mm-hmm. um, that was a really nice detail in that scene. Um, and I, <laughs> I was pleased to see with Renfield's death scene. Um, maybe I'm a freak, but I thought it was hilarious that that in the in Lugosi's room, he's like, "Punish me, torture me. I'm your slave. Just don't <laughs> kill me." And then and then this scene, I was so pleased. It had the same line where he was yeah, like, "Punish me, torture me." <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, that's what um, I'm saying." It's like, ah, oh, no homoeroticism in this one. Come on, look at this dialogue. <laughs> yeah, it's it is kind of and it's one of those things it's where kinky. it's like, did they? Because I think that we can kind of have 
there's a tendency to read immaturity or naivete onto like past generations because it's like, mm-hmm. oh, they didn't even know what the world was going to be. Um, <laughs> so I, it's one of those things where I'm like, did they think that there was just no, that there was just no implicate, like nothing. It was purely completely heterosexual for Renfield to be like physically lower. Like he's mm-hmm. kneeling on the steps of this staircase and Dracula is like physically imposing above him. And he's like, I'm your slave. I'm <laughs> master. I'm I belong to you. For you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like punish me, torture me. Like, um, you know, and then he spends a lot of time calling Dracula. Were they just like, yeah, just guys being dudes. Mm. <laughs> um, it's, you know, it's hard to say. We'll never know. But I, I don't know. I believe Dwight Fry knew what he was doing. (laughs) I have to. (laughs) He's all sweaty, begging. Yeah. Yeah. Dwight Dwight Fry and Lugosi. Like, come on. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, yeah. Um. Yeah. And we actually, like, we, Dracula dies. um, No, sort of on screen. I would say that his that we hear his screams yes which also sound pretty gruesome more so than the lugosi one which was something that you brought up was like pretty famously censored from the lugosi was renfield screams and i believe dracula and dracula screams as well well. yeah Yeah, death groans um yeah (laughs) the death groans The death grows. Yeah, so we, we hear him die and, and Juan and Ava reunite and there there is much more of a a sense of conclusion and finality in this film than in the yes. Lugosi one. It, the ending feels much less random. I yeah. do have to say that I when I finished watching Lugosi's <laughs> Dracula. Like the credits rolled and I looked around like, is this a joke? Like, I kind of was like, that's it. Um, so this one ended in more or less the same exact place with, um, with Juan and Ava leaving, you know, their marriage protected and Ava survives. Mm-hmm. The breeding pair because, can go forth. Yeah, <laughs> the breeding pair made it through. Um, <laughs> But it felt because of all of the additions and because of the fact that like it because there had been consistent action and it felt less like, oh, thank God, people are finally doing things. And then it ends like it I, the not the ending felt much more like natural and satisfying just because yeah. of like the positive effect of some of those differences earlier in the films. Like it didn't bother yeah. me nearly as much that it was basically well- the same ending. Well, you actually get Van Helsing kind of doing the final, he has been defeated and is no more and his evil will not pollute you. Like in the Lugosi one, Jonathan straight up's like, you come in. Van Helsing's like, nope, you go ahead. It's like, <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, and then they just, and then it was kind of like, well, and I guess then Mina or Mina is like, glad we're both alive. And then they just walk off. Like they just leave. Yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, and in this version, it does end with them going up the staircase of the Abbey as well. But, like, the framing and the, the angle of the camera makes it seem a lot more like, mm-hmm. yay, they're they're sending up away from the evil. Yes. 
And so that concludes um, the events of the film. <laughs> um, yes, thank you, George Malford. <laughs> thank you. Um, thank you, everyone. Um, so that, I guess, brings us kind of to uh, we're going to start closing this thing out with our final thoughts and just some like last details on the film. Um, so yeah, I guess we talked, we definitely talked about our feelings a, a bit, but what's your takeaway? <laughs> how, how do you feel? <laughs> My takeaway is that this is a much better movie or mm -hmm. adaptation, I should say. And I'm glad it's getting more recognition and reevaluation now. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, I, I sadly, I just like, I, I wish it had Vela in it. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I mean, but that that's really my only kind of complaint. I mean, in, in every other way, I think it's, it's a far superior film. Yeah, I mean, it's I I just have to agree you know it's kind of hopefully as as time goes by there will be more things I think where we feel differently but mm -hmm. yeah I mean this is just it's a better film um it's it's you know from so many different aspects like so many different ways of evaluating the formal elements of a movie it's a better movie in m m almost all of the ways um, I, it's, it's the first time that I felt emotionally drawn in by like Dracula's story, mm -hmm. um, because this is like the third version of it. And this was the first time where I really kind of, um, where I felt a connection in a way mm -hmm. that I hadn't felt because Nosferatu I connected to from a kind of like filmmaking like I am watching a marvel of a craft you, yeah you know and I felt connected to Nosferatu just in the sense of like this was like the bleeding edge of figuring out what films could be um and mm -hmm. so I connected with Nosferatu in that way and then it was just really tough with Browning's, with Browning's version of the film. Like, I just, it was like, I was just sitting there like, this sucks, this is boring. <laughs> like, I'm not yeah. having fun. Mm -hmm. um, and this is definitely still like a slower film. And just like the pacing and the style of story, like that move that films take now is so different. But like, I felt like I, I wanted to keep watching. Um, and that's like, you know, I teach screenwriting and that is a phrase that I use every week that we talk about all the time is like, your goal is always keeping the person in the seat, keeping them from changing the channel for another few minutes. You know, like that's one of the most basic questions that you ask yourself when you're writing a story or making something is like, do people want to keep watching? Do people care? Um, and this was one of the first time, this was the first time where like, in terms of the like these people, this was the first time where I kind of felt like, I want to see what happens. Like, I want to see what happens to Ava. Like, I want to see, um, I want to see if Van Helsing manages to like get people on his side, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I also totally agree on the fact that this film is getting and deserves some kind of newfound and wider recognition 
And that actually is like the final piece of really interesting, um, you know, really interesting information about this is I'm just looking in my notes here to find, um, to find legacy. Yes. There we go. So basically this film was, um, more or less like lost for several decades. Um, it was released in 1931 in March in Havana. Wow. So the turnaround time on movies was so it was shot and released same year. I've, that's so crazy now, but yeah. it makes sense. Um, so it opened in Havana um, and in L.A. It made a box office. Um, I think on its opening night, it made $5,600 in Los Angeles. Um, and oh, OK, I see now. It was a staggered thing. So it was released in Havana first um, and it made almost $7,000 and then it made almost $6,000 the next week in Los Angeles. And so this was not successful for the time. And this was actually one of the last Spanish language version films that was done in this way. Um, so, you know, it kind of fizzled out a little bit and then it was, um, it was lost for for decades until the 70s where I wasn't able to find this everywhere that I looked, but there was at least one place that said that a reel of the film was discovered in a basement in New Jersey in the 70s. Oh. <laughs> and oh. that from there sprung this new life where in 1978, the film was screened at the at the MoMA in New York, and then it had a release on VHS in 1992. And in 2015, it was selected for the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress as being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Um, so this film is a recognized piece of film history, of American history, um, which is... Um, which is really great. And there is even further developments. As of right now, there are, I believe, two different, yes, there are two different um, adaptations in the works or kind of extensions of this in the works now, um, which it, it looks like you didn't know that. Um, um, I think I read uh, that there is going to be an adaptation of the movie, but also in your notes that there is going to be a film about the production of the movie? Yes. Yes. Okay. So it seems like there's a few different things in the air. I'm getting this from an article from the NPR um, from September 20, so last September. Um, and so it's Spanish Dracula finds new blood more than 90 years after its release. And this was just a really great, like it just, they talked to so many people, a lot of the quotes and little tidbits about, um, about the film that I mentioned came from this article. So find it if you can. Um, it's really interesting. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So basically it looks like, so 
the grandsons of Paul Koner, the, the producer, are making a film about, I think they're making a documentary about the film. Either that or a dramatization nice. of the production of the film. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then there's also a single camera TV show in the works on VIX Plus, which is a Spanish streaming service. Um, and so, yeah, it's a single cam workplace comedy, says producer Ben Odell. It starts at the gathering of the cast, sort of like an Ocean's Eleven. Once we set it up, it's about this cast of this kind of cast of quirky characters trying to make this thing, which ends up being great. And so I think that sounds awesome. He says, um, Odell in their version, the actor who plays Dracula is a ham. He loves the attention. He loves the applause. He's a theater (laughs) actor. So he's disgusted by the movie business. Um, when he's offered this movie role, he turns it down at first. Um, so I think that sounds really fun. Um, and yeah, I think it's really, I think it's really great that, you know, we talked about this a bit earlier, um, but it's really great that this cast um, and this project, largely by people of color and by immigrants, is like getting this second life. Yeah, definitely. And I'm really glad we have it now and it was not lost. Yes. Yeah. It's it's like, it's really tough being a cinephile and being someone who's interested in cinema and cinema history whenever you really start to think about those numbers you know 90 percent mm. of yeah. early film is lost and it's you're you're so right that it's like you just have to be grateful that we did not lose this one mm-hmm. um and so yeah it's that's i mean that's one of the things that's been honestly so great about doing this is that we get to go back and see these yeah. like incredible honestly really magical things you know like every movie that gets completed as a miracle movies are really hard to make mm-hmm. and then to think that we still have things that are you know like well over a hundred years old that that against all the odds like we still have these examples yeah yeah and so in terms of the other adaptation Chris and Paul Wheats, Tovar and Kona's grandsons, are writing a script about the making of the film with Poncho Kona producing. It is a love story between two immigrants, explained Paul Kona. Our grandfather was from what would now be the Czech Republic, so he was part of the European Jewish emigre community. And then our grandma was from a completely different immigrant community. Um, So, sounds really sweet. Um, Yeah. And they also said so... That was, I think that was, yeah, Poncho Hunter said that. And then one of the brothers, Chris, Chris Wheat, said that Spanish Dracula could also be seen as an immigrant story. Dracula comes over from Transylvania to England and is generally considered bad news. He's a bloodsucker. He's a parasite. This is a kind of view of immigrants as opposed to what we really believe about the role of immigrants in this country, which is they're the lifeblood of how the country works. Um mm-hmm. And I wanted to read that quote because um, it's like, it's very true in terms of the kind of reality of the film industry, like that speaks to the film industry. And it is also a really, really interesting perspective on Dracula and is very much the conversation that we had and a lot of the points that you brought to the Nosferatu episode 
and like the analysis of Nosferatu. So mm. I also thought that that was like a cool thing to bring up in terms of bringing it full circle or just, you know, you talked about how things are melting together. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that felt like another um, significant moment of melting oh god it's a melting <laughs> pot we have to go <laughs> we have to um yeah <laughs> the primordial ooze of cinema and vampire cinema and dracula <laughs> right you where you don't know where one trope ends and the other began <laughs> yes yeah and on that note i think that we've gone over just about everything that you know we wanted to say about this film and you know the people behind it and its reception and its legacy so yeah unless you have any other thoughts no no i think i'm i think i've said everything like i said really glad we have it and i hope these two adaptations or uh depictions of the film's production get made they sound really interesting yeah yeah i'm gonna keep an eye out i want to see both of these things um when they come out so i i really hope that they are able to like move forward with both of those um with both of those projects um all right well thank you for listening to another episode of this podcast sucks Find us where you get your podcasts on Spotify, Apple Music, and YouTube. Follow us on social media and give us a like. You can find us at That Vampire Pod on X, formerly known as Twitter, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you guys. And remember, stay bloodthirsty. Catch our next episode on Carl Theodore Dreher's 1932 film, Vampire.